Welcome to the MindVine podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the MindVine podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris Bovey. Welcome to the MindVine podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers. I'm with Chris Bovey. Daryl, how are you? I'm well, thank you. We are socially distant, uh, just so everybody knows, um, and we're being safe. We are on location at Ontario Shores. We um, are among the few that, uh, well, I guess not among the few, we're slowly bringing people back to the hospital, at least those of us who can work from home, and uh, we're here today, so it's nice to be, even though it's a new stage and or whatever we're doing here, it's Undisclosed nice to, location. <laughs> yes, it, it does feel undisclosed, but. It's nice to be to be back here doing something uh, a little bit more normal. It is. It'll be nice when we get our guests in person more, but yes. this is this feels a little a little better. Yeah, one of the nice things about the pandemic, although there's very few, but just from the podcast perspective is that we have been able to connect with people just using technology. Yes. Uh, we had I think early on we had uh, Kelsey McEwen from Your Morning, uh, Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada, we had Rick Vive and uh, today we have another NHL uh, kind of alumnus in Brant Myers who has a, a book out who talks about addiction and mental health and, or addiction in his career and obviously there's a component to mental health as we know to addiction issues. It's, uh, it's been interesting to see some of these celebrities uh, come and share their, their stories and, and kind of, especially in Brant's case, kind of bear all. Well, and I think maybe it's Maybe it's COVID that you have all this time to finish your books that you've been thinking about. <laughs> yeah. So all these books are coming out. But you know, I really I liked his book because I felt, and you you, you know, it felt that he was really shared more of the individual. It was less about the game. It was more about the challenges he faced. So it really resonated. A lot of the the stories resonated a bit more. Um, so yeah, yeah it was a really good. His read. book actually made me uncomfortable yeah. at times, um, and he hints at that, like just how honest he was and and uh, reckless, I guess is a word to use, like when he was in the throes of his addiction, just it, his stories are unbelievable. And, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about it, but people that were in his life who um, helped him in his addiction, maybe unknowingly, just by uh, letting him get away with certain things and not holding him accountable. But I mean, that's, that could be true in a lot of addiction stories. Well, and I think, you know, money, you know, sports is big money and they're investments. So, you know, you often see, you know, little tweaks and things allow people to get away with things and because you need them. They're an investment and you need them to play or sport or whatever it is. And so, um, you know, it is, it is a challenge. Probably opportunities that wouldn't be afforded to, to other people in, in, in social circles that maybe you see the problem drag on where you know it doesn't get caught early it's kind of you, you allow that behavior to continue as long as it doesn't impact on the ice or on the field or um, and I think that's what you, what you saw there but at you know, the same token you know um, they did step up to provide support for him in, in his journey to help him get him on the right track yeah one of the one of the things to reading this book is if you had parents who loved you and were in your life uh, you're privileged um, mm. Because he's he, he's a reminder that not everybody has the same uh, head start in life or uh, you yeah. know have the same opportunities. 
Yeah, and kids don't, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because kids don't have perspective of what's normal when they're young, right? Like, they just, you know, in this case, there was, there was some hard things for me to read that were very traumatic for him, like, you know, in the book, um, his stepfather and some of the things, and you just, you, your heart kind of bleeds, but you, you understand he probably didn't know that there's a different world, or maybe, you know, when he goes to his grandparents and sees what love's really like and, and has that nurturing, but it's, you know, these things can't, you know, they have to have an impact growing up, right? These traumatic events in childhood, so just natural. So pleased to welcome our, our next guest to the MindVine podcast. Um, it's funny when you call a hockey player an author, but that's, uh, that's what our next guest is. Brant Myers is the author of the book Painkiller, a memoir of big league addiction. I'm just holding it up here. It's available at Indigo, Amazon, and anywhere you buy books. If you don't recognize Brant for his uh, works of literature, you might recognize <laughs> him from wearing an NHL jersey for parts of seven seasons. I uh, played with Tampa Bay mostly, Philadelphia, San Jose, Nashville, I think Washington and Boston as well, if I'm missing anywhere. But uh, anyways, pleased to welcome Brant Myers to the podcast. Welcome, Brant. Welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. So obviously I mentioned off the top that you have a book out. Uh, it talks about your, your struggle with addiction through most of your childhood into your professional career. Uh, and I noticed right away because um, we, we've had athletes on before and other people of, of, uh, with notoriety. And usually when a celebrity writes a, a book, there's usually a journalist they trust whose name's also attached to it, a ghostwriter. Uh, with yours, you did this all on your own. So can you take us through the decision, one, to write the book, and, and two, to, to do it all by yourself? Yeah, well, I, I don't even, I didn't even know that I, like when you're talking about a book, I didn't know that you could have somebody help you. Uh, I didn't understand. I, I think I heard of a ghostwriter, I don't know, three weeks ago. So <laughs> for me, it wasn't, I, I just wrote, uh, it started back in 2008 when I was in my fifth rehab and I just, uh, it actually turned out to be a proposal for the NHL. Um, and then I believe in 2012, I just sort of started writing again, um, off and on, you know, here and there. I had maybe half of it done, maybe a little more. And then when I got hired by the Los Angeles Kings in 2015, I, I stopped. I stopped with the process. I just said, well, I'm not sure I want this book coming out when I'm employed by a NHL team. Uh, and then, uh, when the job came to an end in LA in 2018, I, uh, talked with, uh, Penguin, um, Canada and they, uh, asked if I'd like to finish it. And I said, sure. And so I just kept writing. And then, um, I sent everything that I had over to a gentleman by the name of Nick Garrison, who, um, just was just amazing working with uh, uh, his professionalism on how he handled me because a lot of these stories were uh, very hard to uh, not only write but to understand that it was going to be released to the world um you know it was just great having him in my corner because i can get heated at times and uh, he just had a nice way of calming me down throughout the process in the book you um, obviously you, you've highlighted and you suffered some traumatic events 
mentally, physically as, as a young, young man. And um, I know you've come to terms and understand sort of the circumstances and that your mother went through and all the things. But I'm wondering, you know, reflecting back, you know, could there have been things that could have helped you as a young person? Um, the things that you went through, knowing what we know today and the support for young people, um, some of those things that you went through, have you sort of revisited that as sort of how these, this path kind of led to addictions or how that, those traumatic events played into this? Well, I, I'm sure any time that you, you don't feel, uh, what's the word, <clears throat> protected as a child, you don't even really know what's going on. You just, I think intuitively, you believe that your parents are going to protect you, and when they don't, um, you start asking, is there something wrong with me for me not to be loved and protected? But as you read, uh, if anybody's read the book, my grandparents were angels, and they, they took me in. Um, and once I got taken in by my grandparents, you know, it was, my mom lived down the road, so that was a little weird. Uh, my dad was, wasn't really in the picture, you know, and, uh, I just focused on grandma and grandpa being mom and dad, really. And I think he, one time I stole his truck and he gave me a bit of a licking. <laughs> uh, I deserved it. <laughs> um, other than that, there was so much love from them. They they were they were hard nosed Ukrainians, but they also knew how to show love. So, um, you know, is it again? Is it the trauma? You, you never get over it, I think. But when I went into my last treatment center, I started to actually um, peel back the onion, as they say, and understand that it wasn't my fault. Like, a, and I was blaming myself for years, you know, um, trying to save my mom and why my father was acting sometimes the way that he was, but it, it was out of my control. When you were growing up, you know, you mentioned in the book, but you I mean it's nothing out of the ordinary for a Canadian kid. You loved hockey, right? You talked about, you know, frozen feet and playing every chance you get and um, it being, you know, your passion. Can you imagine what your life would have been like if you didn't have hockey or something like that to to keep you keep you going? Yeah, there's the there was the little dirt bike uh, that I had, which uh, I think I, I don't know if it was if, the, if there wasn't snow. I mean, I was on this little thing, and I was just gone by myself. I'd ride out in the fields and stuff, and um, try and come home as late as I could, you know, because back home it I don't know it just wasn't that good. And then hockey was uh, another outlet. But I, again, I was doing two things that I loved to do. It wasn't like I was forced to go put my skates on. I just, the minute that I was playing hockey, I just fell in love with the game. And uh, um, my, grand, my grandpa was good because he owned a store and he was able to take me to all my practices and stuff. So those two things, the dirt bike and hockey definitely helped me as a child. I was going to say, it was interesting when you look at your career, obviously hockey was a passion and it gave you, you know, a place to escape and, and, and feel good and, and do well. But as you read through the book, it was also a bit of an enabler. So, you know, when you read about the times that you encountered police that kind of let you go and, and, you know, your status as an NHL player may have been a bit of an enabler that continued the road to addiction. Have you ever stopped to think about 
what those interactions or what my life would have been like if, if that police officer didn't, I wasn't an NHL player, I was just a, you know, <laughs> I was working just a regular job and where my path, of, of, you know, with, with the addictions would have led me without hockey. Uh, in, interesting that you asked that question today. I had a call from, um, uh, my caller ID was from uh, Los Angeles and it was one of the head of security from the National Hockey League. And I thought, hmm, <laughs> why is he calling me? Uh, he just called to say he was listening to my audiobook. And he said that, um, he goes, wow, I went over the, I read, or I listened to the part about the, the Mexican on the Harley. <laughs> and how you got, how you got pulled over with uh, no helmet, blood on your clothes, drunk out of your mind with no motorcycle license. And they let, and they let you go. He said, that is just incredible. Incredible to think that nobody <laughs> took you downtown. And uh, you know, throughout my life, I mean I can't I can't count the times that I got behind the wheel and I shouldn't have been driving. And I mean, and I ne other than that one time on the motorcycle, I've never been pulled over. So yeah, I don't know if you want to call it angels, if I don't know what you want to call it, but I guess all those things that we that you talk about enabled me to to write the book. I think the scariest part of that story on the motorcycle is that Bob Probert rented you that motorcycle and you <laughs> yeah, pretty much destroyed yeah. it. Yeah, but it was funny because I remember I go, Proby, I don't have a, a, a motorcycle license. I, I love to ride, but I, he goes, ah, you know, don't worry about it. So there I am on the back of his, his Harley and I'm hanging on to him. You know, there's these two big guys going down the road to the Harley dealership and I just remember pulling up after the crash the day and the handlebars were bent and the tank was bent and he walks out and just the look on his face was just like, what happened last <laughs> night? <laughs> yeah, man, you don't really want to know. I'll pay you back. I, I believe the damage was, I think around $4,000 or something like that to fix, to fix the motorcycle, which I paid. It wasn't a big deal. Just to, you know, like, on Chris's point, to, to go back to, not so much enablers, but there's a couple times in the book where you talk about, uh, like, teammates who knew something was going on. I think about the story you tell with uh, Paul Coffey, seeing what kind of shape you were in uh, with uh, going, as you arrived for practice, and kind of giving you some tips on how to quickly get on the ice and get off. And there's a story about Luke Richardson helping you out with the police one time. And I know... Those guys are just trying to help you. They're looking out for you, especially back then. You guys are, you know, you're, you're playing in the NHL. You guys are brothers. They're, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to take you to the police station. They're going to look after you. But is there a gap there, or is that part of what you were trying to do with the Kings? Is like give these people in your life maybe some tools so they could have had a different conversation with you or helped you in a different way or like how like how should those kind of relationships evolve now and in today's world yeah well I think I know one thing I do know is that if there was a guy like uh, Bob Probert around when I was playing when I was young um, somebody that played the game that I respected excuse me and that, um, that had sobriety under his belt I would have used him I don't know how much I would have I can't say today how much it would have altered my my course, but I but I for sure would have used Bob. 
I would have confided in Bob because at the time I, I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't, uh, anybody that had an influence on uh, signing my checks, I wasn't going to mention that I had an issue to. So if there was a third party like uh, the role that I had in Los Angeles, where a guy was actually on the road and stuff, like, what for sure would have helped. I don't know how much, but it would have helped. <clears throat> the, the Harley story was interesting. We don't want to give too much away of the book because we want people to buy it. But um, one, you know, one thing that I, just I picture this. You wrote about how you were writing your reinstatement letter to Gary Bettman. Well drinking a case of beer, telling him how, like, I just immensely looked at that at this time, like, you sitting down penning this letter, and I just wonder, you know, from your, your frame of mind, were you, do you think, did you think you were, you know, I got this under control, I can, I can beat the system, or what's going through your mind as you're writing this letter? Uh, well, as the, as the readers will have read up to that point, that for most of my career, I was getting away with it for the most part like so why wouldn't I get away with it again you know like what kind of a guy goes to write a reinstatement letter to Gary Batman and, uh, <laughs> the night before you know that's probably the most important meeting of my life I decided to pull a, uh, a Denzel Washington uh, in the movie uh flight uh, where he opens up the minibar it's you know because he had a court date the next day right and i it was sort of similar it was like the insanity that that i thought i could do cocaine till 8 30 in the morning and go knock on the doctor's door i mean it, it just it just goes to show you the power actually of of the disease in in your journey um you know, you cover you cover lots of things in the book. Uh, you know, when watching your kind of media tour as you go through this, and you reveal different parts. You, your relationship with with fighting, um, it's a really a double-edged sword because uh, you started doing it when you were so young. Like I think you were you were talking about your daughter recently turning 13, and how at 15, you were in your first fight with a backup goalie, <laughs> and that was kind of the beginning of your journey into the role of, an, of the enforcer and. Um, Everything you've been through, I, there was one quote in the in the book that really stuck with me: is that you hated the job, but you loved being in the NHL, and you had to learn to deal with that. What's your relationship with the role that you had now, and and how do you how do you make sense of your kind of your contribution to the game and and what it did to your life? Yeah, um, I think when I got the note from the doctor or the, the talk that I, I shouldn't never fight again. Um, it was just an exhilarating feeling. Um, I don't know if the, the average person, I'm pretty sure you can't understand what it's like to score off with your fists with another man um, in front of a lot of people and on t television. It's, uh, but again, I, I started doing it so young, like I, I it just felt normal, I guess that's at some point it felt, oh, this is just what I'm going to do. But looking back, you know, I've been out of the game since I guess 05, really. And uh, I, I love waking up knowing that I don't have to 
put Vaseline on my face tonight at seven o'clock. I mean, it's, it took a, it took, and again, listen, I made the decision to be a, a fighter uh, that has nothing to do with the National Hockey League. Um, I played in the NHL. Uh, it was, as my father told me, uh, better than anything I could have ever imagined. And it's true. There were some moments that were just like, you know, looking around the, the arena and seeing the, the crowd and playing against Gretzky and Lemieux and Messier. I mean, those moments were just outstanding. But the problem is, is that I wasn't necessarily playing hockey anymore. Um, I used to play hockey in midget, uh, but I wasn't playing the game of hockey that much anymore. So, Further than that, I, I want to, you know, get in the sort of the Sopranos look of an enforcer and get a sense of inside. And I, I'm just curious, you know, m the emotional and ment mental state of somebody that, that fights in the NHL, like, are you able to keep it between, you know, the lines, as they say, to go out and it's a job? Or do you take that back to the hotel room? Are you thinking about it during the night? And because, you know, fighting is an emotional state, right? Or are you able to take the emotion out of that and just see it as a job? Or did it play a toll mentally every night, you know, revisiting what I did, you know, and living, living it? Well, I think if anybody looks at the National Hockey League schedule, you understand that there's never, you don't shut that off. That's a constant uh, struggle from training camp. So September 15th until basically, I would believe the end of the year. And then when you had your summers off, that was a time to really unwind and not think about it. But then once the middle of August came, you go, oh, oh shit, I got another month to go until I'm back at it again. And then you start getting the anxiety, you know, and then it just goes for another seven months. As you talk about your your recovery, um, you mentioned the birth of your daughter, which I know uh, there's a story there about um, kind of a pivotal moment a couple days before she was born. But um, she's central to your recovery, is she not? Does she keep you grounded? Does she help with, you know, obviously there's lots of work to do, but like what kind of role does does she play in, in your ability to maintain your health? Yeah, <clears throat> I take pride in uh, the fact that I got sober before she was born. She's never had to see me in a blackout or uh, miss a gymnastics meet or just being a responsible person. And that's what happens when you're uh, so woven into your addiction. As you can see from all the lying that I did when I was lying, um, I don't lie to her. I tell her the truth. Um, but ultimately, you know what, guys? This is, I think, between me and God, my sobriety. Um, no human on the planet can stop me from relapsing. And that includes my daughter. I think the spiritual connection that I have with what I believe to call God is what's kept me sober. Um, so I don't really take credit for it. <clears throat> but as a parent, um, you know, like you said, you, you, you have an honest dialogue you've shared. You know, how did you decide kind of like, how do, I, how do I talk to my daughter about what I went through? This is prior to her being born and, and what do I share? And were you sort of conflicted about how to present that or when to present that or when to have those conversations? 
Um, yeah, I, 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 I told her prior to the book being released that there are, you know, maybe you can read the first uh, 15 pages <laughs> and then skip to uh, when I saw you for the first time. Um, you don't really want to probably read that much uh, your age. And, uh, you know, and she's just a kid. She's a teenager. She, I think she looked at the cover and all she said was, oh, that's a cool cover. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, is my picture in there? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, we, your picture's in there, honey. So I don't think she realizes what her father did. Um, maybe one day when she gets older, she'll, she'll pick it up. Tell us a bit of what you're you're doing now. You touched on the king's role. I know that's come to an end. Uh, you're writing the book. You're you're uh, doing media. But what else? Like, what do you foresee? What are you doing now? What do you foresee doing in the next uh, little while? Well, like everyone, uh, the the COVID situation has, uh, you know, I guess hampered uh, the book tour and that kind of stuff. Uh, for me, financially, I've done, I've done good, and my hope for this story is that I can continue to share. Uh, you know, just that there, there can, there can be a, a, a happy. I wouldn't want to say ending because I'm not dead yet, but <laughs> it could be a positive outcome, no matter how far you've gone down the, the rabbit hole. And so for me, I want to focus on uh, sharing that story. And I, I've got a really good publicist in Toronto, Ruta. She's she's been great, and she'll work with me on uh, when things open up a little bit, on when I can start traveling to certain schools and different corporations and that kind of thing to start to doing some speaking. You know, I know that you you want to help others, and and a recent sort of tragedy that just came out recently, the Mark Pavlich tragedy, and. Um, I'm sure it probably resonated with you a little bit. Uh, there, you know, there was some talk whether John Davidson had done enough or people had stepped in and, and, and have they done enough. And it turned out that you know Glenn Healy was with the Alumni Association had had emails. And but I'm just curious from a, a support like the Alumni Association and NHL supports, is there enough right there? You know, for for people, you know, what you went through and other other players going through. Do you think there's enough, or do we need to do more to support the players? Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you what their, their protocols are. I don't know what they do. Um, all I know is that the, the National Hockey League and the Players Association uh, pretty much saved my life. And they were so generous on all those treatment centers and the NHL Assistance Fund to get me on my feet and paying for me to go back to school. and. So I only have amazing things to say. And I think it, with anything in the workforce or wherever we are, we're always trying to improve. The minute that you get up to the boardroom and go up there and say, oh, we've got it all figured out. We've got the best program. We don't need to work on it. Um, is a day you fail. You always have to keep trying to improve. So I'm sure the PA and the league are always, you know, sitting down and going, how can we get better? No different than any, any NHL team. Even the Toronto Maple Leafs are probably going. How can we get better? So, to bring it back to hockey for a second, kind of. Daryl Sutter was just rehired by the Calgary Flames. 
and uh, you know he, you had him in San Jose. You worked with him when in L.A. And before I read your book, I would have said Daryl Sutter's a, a dinosaur, and how can how can an old school guy like him? I see his press conferences even when the Kings were were good and winning, and I I would say he's he would appear to be unrelatable to today's young player, right? And I'm guessing you have a different opinion based on your experiences. Like, why, why is Daryl Sutter still relevant in the NHL today after all these years? Well, again, you know, we are playing the game of hockey. <clears throat> we are human beings. And I think that uh, you, can't, you can't argue with success. I mean, whether they liked him or not, whether people liked um, Scotty Bowman. I mean, I heard stories from players about Scotty. They they couldn't stand Scotty, but they played for him, and they won championships. Um, I tell a story about Drew Doughty in the book. How Daryl was riding him hard, you know. Um, Drew was one of the best players in the NHL. So. For me, I wouldn't have done good with uh, everything's all rosy and pats on the back all the time and high fives. I, I wouldn't. Have, I, I needed a guy that had structure that I respected. And then if you didn't, if you didn't give Daryl like a hundred and one percent, you weren't going to play. And I think in Calgary, that uh, it looked for me when I saw him got hired. It, that's obviously not a surprise. I. I think that he's going to be amazing in Calgary. And as I just mentioned, we all have to keep adapting. Um, yes, the players are different, but hockey's hockey, you know, and uh, he's a smart man. He'll figure it out. Now, you mentioned uh, you heard from the security, head of security, but have you had a lot of feedback from, from some of your peers on the book already? And, and you know, there's probably always that anxious moment of what, what are people going to say, but I'm just curious what you've been mm -hmm. hearing. Oh, it, it was an anxious moment. Uh, it got released on the 16th of February, and I was sort of just sitting there, you know, <laughs> waiting for the dings on the phone to come. <laughs> and they did. And the, and the last two, like two and a half, whatever, three weeks has been um, pretty much overwhelming as far as the response goes from people that I know, people that I don't know, players, uh, just probably the common theme is thank you for your honesty. And uh, I didn't even re realize what that meant. I was just writing from the heart, you know, like, uh, but I guess they were appreciative of the uh, honesty of the, of my stories. Well, that's a good segue because we appreciate the honesty of your story today. And uh, for your book, I'm going to hold it up one more time. Uh, we'll have a link as well when we publish the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for being so honest. I think, as we mentioned off the top, uh, you know, athlete books are kind of different sometimes. Uh, but, you know, but this isn't a book about a hockey player. It's a book about a, a person. And I think what makes it work is, is how honest you are. So thank you for uh, joining us today. And